TMT, I'm dynamite. TMT, I'm out of sight. TMT, I'm on a mic, boy, my yeah, boy. Welcome to episode 96 of the Superhouse Podcast, everybody. My name is Andrew, as usual, and I am joined by Maddie. Hi. And we have a special guest this week. He's a practical, practical effects artist by the name of Kevin Kirkpatrick. He has traveled all over the world doing special effects makeup for films such as Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Stranger Things, Midnight Texas, The Nick, Logan Lucky, The Avengers, Man of Steel, Snow White and the Huntsman, and Tron Legacy, just to name a few. He has been a sculptor, mold maker, creature painter, and special effects makeup artist throughout his career. Many of us have come to know his work through those hyper-realistic Beavis and Butthead sculptures that went viral a few years ago. <laughs> yes, we are talking to Kevin Kirkpatrick. Welcome to Superhouse, Kevin. Thank you for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming. Um, so let's get right to it. Um, I know I said your name in the intro, but can you just uh, answer this real quick just for interview purposes? What is your name and where are you from? Uh, my name is Kevin Kirkpatrick. I'm from Freeport, Illinois. Cool. And um, we're just going to start in the beginning, if that's okay. <laughs> Absolutely. We're a better place to start than that. All right, cool. Um, so uh, what did your parents do for a living? Uh, my dad, um, when I was growing up, he worked for... The city water department in okay. a super super small town in uh, Pearl City, Illinois. Like, I basically 600 people okay. uh, lived in a small town. My mom was a beautician, did hair and nails and that kind of stuff. Okay, so did do you think you got the uh, artistic side from mainly your mother? Or? Well, my dad was a good artist. He he loved to draw, um, and that was about the extent of of his artistic. Um, uh, path, but to, you know he was he was a really good artist, and and my mom um, actually just started getting into painting, okay, uh, in her you know in her in her golden years here. So she's uh, just kind of taking the old jump in into the artistic field and seeing how she likes it. And she's been doing pretty good. Awesome. And uh, what did your parents think when you started to do this? I mean, at what age were you starting to do this type of things, special effects makeup? Uh, as soon as I learned of Halloween, uh, super <laughs> young age, yeah, as, as early as I can remember, I'd always, um, I think about six years old, I'd, I'd be getting into uh, the Halloween stuff. We had stored everything away in our basement. We had a little Christmas section, a little Thanksgiving section. We had a Halloween section. And... Uh, the Halloween section was kind of always open at all time, all, all year round. I was always kind of pulling <laughs> pranks and um, that kind of stuff. Just the art of disguise always kind of uh, just enthralled me with, with, with the art of it. I just loved it. And I, I just loved getting into the, the, the horror movies and monsters and that kind of stuff at a, at a super early age. Um, and I remember when uh, I was, I can't remember exactly what age I was. I was pretty young and my parents took me on a little trip to Northern Wisconsin to see my uncle. And he had a VHS tape of the thing playing. 
Oh shit! And yeah, and then <laughs> when I was watching that movie, I was like, "What the heck is this?" I was freaked out. Just like it, it was so real to me, and and I had to know how it was done. And and I think that just kind of planted the seed in me at such an early age, just wanting to figure out how the stuff was made and how it was done. And and ever since then, I can just remember going to the library and picking up books on the craft and um, just kind of reading up on, on monster movies and, and effects and that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a pretty early age. Um, and I'd have to say I was about nine when I saw my first Fangoria magazine. Oh, and shit. yeah, that uh, I, it's really sad that they, they did discontinue it uh, recently uh, mm. because that was such a pivotal magazine in my in my you know youth growing up and learning about effects artists making all these monsters and creatures and 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 all this gore and all that kind of stuff um it introduced me to them and you know so that was it was kind of sad seeing that go away so halloween you started from a very young age you found out you liked halloween and spooky stuff but then when Mm -hmm. you saw the thing it was like oh i want to make spooky stuff is that that might be too simple but is that somewhat in the area yeah it's that sounds about right you know it's it's watching horror movies my parents never really had a filter on what i could or couldn't watch (laughs) it was just like whatever was on and 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 they were in the room watching something i could come in and they wouldn't turn anything off you know so it was like yeah yeah yeah, they were they were really cool and supportive as as far as that goes um so i could watch anything and and there was a really small video store in our hometown and there was a horror section and i'd go there all the time and just get horror movie after horror movie and and just watch everything i could um to just kind of fill my mind with the you know this kind of uh, i guess macabre art right so so uh you you literally went to the library and started looking up books in addition to fangoria yeah i couldn't find many books on makeup effects because they're just there wasn't a lot but it was more on horror movies and uh, like the history of horror movies and going back to like the old universal movies, you know, Frankenstein, Dracula, all that stuff. Um, but it would also in those books, it would tell me who was behind the, the makeups and, and a lot of that stuff, you know, up to Jack Pierce and all the universal monster movies that he was involved in. And, um, you know, up through the, the seventies and with like the shining and, um, uh, even the Godfather had some stuff in which, right, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. That just kind of brings you to the Godfather of makeup himself, Dick Smith. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's research kind of was my only outlet. And then Halloween was my only chance to really get my hands on more makeup and that kind of thing coming (laughs) from such a small area in Northern Illinois. It was, you know, there's not the, uh, you don't have your hands available to get the, uh, the materials you need to make this kind of stuff. So it was just, you know, a lot of latex, a lot of uh, cake makeup and, and that kind of stuff. So, but I made do. Did you win a lot of costume contests growing up? No, the, I mean, the town that I, that I'm from didn't have much of that going on. It was just, there were, they always had uh, haunted houses and that kind of thing. Okay. And, and uh, so I, 
I'd go through the haunted houses dressed up in my makeup and, and, uh, oh, okay. you know, to me, that was just, you know, it was cool just trying to, to stand out in a small town, which I, I, <laughs> I did not always in the, in the most positive way. Cause I, I, I was the neighborhood prankster kid. So a lot of people <laughs> might not have liked my antics, but eh, you were bad. doing, you were doing pranks with the makeup on. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. This is like jackass type shit or, or what exactly? It, it started off like I, ding dong ditching only I wouldn't ditch. I would stand there in my makeup after, after <laughs> ringing their, their doorbell and just see what kind of reaction I would get. Um, and that wouldn't be on Halloween most of the time. So it was like, eventually they, they figured out, you know, oh, Kevin's at it again. So, uh, yeah. So, but right. you know, it was a lot of fun, but I ended up moving around a lot. Um, as a kid too. So after um, my parents, my parents split up um, when I was nine. And uh, so then that kind of brought me into bigger cities. You know, my mom remarried and um, we moved to, to suburbs of Chicago. And uh, so I was in, in bigger cities and able to get my hands on more stuff and um, just kind of hone in on the craft even more. Who did, uh, I mean, all the movies out of all the movies that you watched what were some of the ones that you think really influenced you the most Ooh, um that's a good very good question i'd have to say my my biggest influence um was uh harry and the hendersons wow um in that i just i couldn't understand how you can get an actor in this, this makeup, it didn't make sense to me. And it wasn't really a, you know, it wasn't a makeup. It was more kind of, it was an actor and his eyes did all the talking, but all the rest was animatronic and different animatronic heads. And they were all built by Rick Baker, who is right. just multi, multi award-winning makeup artist and the best in the, there ever is, ever was, ever will be probably. Um, so yeah, that, that really kind of, it was such an influential um, movie and I, I was just, it was something that I, I really wanted to push myself to kind of figure out how it was done or even meet the man himself. And um, you know, he'd done so many other movies that I, I, that were such an influence like American werewolf in London, you know, and, and um, the Grinch and all that stuff. So yeah, I I'd say the biggest one was, uh, was that, um, makeup wise I didn't really understand it when I was a kid when I was watching it because it was such a more of an adult movie um, Amadeus uh, and yeah the the old age makeup that Dick Smith did on um, Salieri was to this day it holds up as an amazing makeup mm -hmm. and yeah just trying to to emulate that kind of quality has been something that has been something that I've been pushing for in my career now that I'm, now that I I'm in this industry, you know? So um, I just always want to continue to grow and grow and get better and better. That's, you know, just by watching those, I still watch that movie to this day and <laughs> I'm like, wow, amazing. That movie is, is awesome. It's, it's funny. You mentioned uh, Harry and the Hendersons and Amadeus. It, I, I think it's kind of cool. And Godfather, you're, you're mentioning a bunch of stuff that's not horror, right. but it's still yeah. very much in the realm of special effects makeup. Absolutely. And that's what I, I really like about the craft 
um, is that it doesn't have to be a horror. A lot of the horror, um, that kind of stuff is not as challenging. I mean, anybody you can, so? yeah, anybody can spray blood and, and make zombies. And, and it, you know, there've been some really, really cool, well done zombies out there. But to me, the biggest challenge in makeup effects is, is doing something that's not covered in blood, something that's you, a character, you know, you're turning someone into somebody else, whether it be an old age or, um, uh, uh, turning a man into a woman or uh, a white guy into a black guy or vice versa. You know, it's to me, that's, that's super challenging. And those are the type of makeups I really enjoy doing uh, because it kind of pushes you to, to just take it in a step further, you know? So. And would you say Rick Baker was more influential, was the most influential or was it Dick Smith or kind of a combination well, they kind of go hand in hand, uh, Rick Baker and Dick Smith, because uh, Rick was Dick's protege. Right. And, you know, he, Dick Smith was just so sharing in, in the craft. He loved to to get all the information uh, just by testing things and, and seeing how things worked. And he failed a lot of times, but he didn't fail a lot of times, too. And it's that you know, you can't be afraid to, to step outside the box, you know, otherwise you're never going to know if something's going to work or not. Um, so yeah, th those guys, they had, they can't, they come from the same kind of mindset that I really, really, um, I just look for people like that and try and, and be like them, you know, it's, it's hard not to want to be the best, you know? So what did they um, do that was, different from everybody else was it just simply attention to detail or was it something else other than that well there are quite a few um artists out there that that do pay such close attention to detail and and i'm not saying they're the only ones but the fact that they're they're willing to share was just parallel to none i mean that dick wrote pretty much a, a, a Bible on makeup effects that's still out there to this day that is the basis of what we do now. And he wrote a lot of this stuff in the 50s, 60s, 70s. And, and you know, there's definitely been some leaps and bounds of, of growing in this industry as of late, but a lot of it would have never happened if it weren't for his willingness to share all of that information. Um, right. So, yeah, that, that's what really gets me. Um, gets me going Rick and, and Stan Winston is another one and, and Steve Johnson um, as well another guy who just kind of loved to uh, look outside the box and figure out ways to make things work without even knowing <laughs> without having a plan he, there's got to be a way to get something done and he'd find out how to do it and uh, yeah it's interesting seeing this stuff happen for me too, because it seems like a lot of it, like some things are sort of similar every time, like a life cast or something, but mm -hmm. then a lot of other things, it's like, it's different every single time. Yeah. Yeah. It's the thing. It's, it's every, everybody's um, got a different way to do it. Everything, you know, life casts, I've done life casts with numerous different people and it's almost like everybody does it a different way and it's mm -hmm. there's no real wrong way um to do it i mean i mean there obviously is a wrong way to do it i've seen videos but <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah there's i mean to get something done 
a lot of people they they look outside the box and try and figure out a way that works for them and yeah it's it's kind of interesting working with different people to to see how they do different things and you pick up little things here and there and i always say this i'm like if 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 i'm doing my job and there's a day that i don't learn something new then i'm doing something wrong right uh, so there's always always room to grow in this industry and and um i just try and, and try and learn something new each day that's a good outlook yeah um so what were you doing before this stuff did you have some sort of nine to five type of job or yeah um actually after high school um i kind of just stayed in my hometown for a while and um, i did odd jobs i worked on cars um i was a welder and um a couple years after high school, I moved out to Arizona because um, my, my my mom moved out there with uh, my stepfather and thought I'd give Arizona a shot. And I was I, I installed home security systems. I'm like, OK, yeah, I, I, all that stuff just didn't interest me. I'm like, I cannot I cannot do this stuff for the rest of my life. I've got to figure out the next step. I've got to, you know, try, try to to make my dreams you know come true so to speak um so one day i saw in uh as i was i was living out in arizona at the time and i saw an ad in uh fangoria magazine for the school uh tom savini's school of makeup effects in pittsburgh I'm like wow there's a school that teaches this stuff yeah so i, I did a little more research um and I just kind of went all in. I had a long conversation with my mom and she was super supportive. She was like, you know, Kev, there's things in life that you know are calling you to do them. You've got to follow them. If you don't, then you're going to just regret not doing it. I was like, you know what? You're right. So I applied right after that conversation to the school. Um, I applied and, and uh, I, I went the very next year yeah so i was um a 16-month program at the school and uh it was a great experience um you know i had some great teachers and uh, i went to school and made a lot of great friends and um 16 months later i my plan was to move out to uh los angeles and start my gig start my job start my career get it going so was that as smooth as you thought it was going to be? Or did you have some connections from your school already? Or Well, the first thing, before I could even move out to L.A., um, I, I got hooked up through Tom Savini. Um, he got me this gig in uh, Egypt. So, oh, yeah. yeah, there was this Egypt gig. It was a medical drama um, TV show, kind of like ER, um, only it was all Egyptian cast and crew. Um, but he knew the producer um, of this show because the producer was actually the director of Friday the 13th Part 4, whom he, he worked with, and on a couple other different shows um, he had worked with throughout his career. And he was like, yeah, Kevin, it's going to be four months in Egypt. Is this something that you're looking, you know, you're interested in doing? I'm like, Hell yeah! Why not? Let's <laughs> let's do this. I mean, I'm, I just graduated. I I'm still fresh. I need to, you know, I need to get my hands dirty. So I let's do it. So um, I called the director Joe Zito. And I called him right away, and and I was on the phone with him for about an hour. And he was like, 
Kevin, you need to expedite your passport. I want you out here next week. And uh, I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, all right. So I got everything expedited. I was on a, a flight the following week, uh, landed in Egypt, and my mind was blown from that day on. It was, it was a pretty crazy, wild experience out there. Um, but one I will never forget and that I will cherish for the rest of my life. What, I mean, you must've had some culture shock being in, in that part of the world. Oh yeah. Big time. Um, the minute I landed, uh, I get off the plane and there's all these guys in like white military uniforms carrying guns and stuff. And, uh, I'm rolling my suitcases past all these guys. I get uh, a cab to try and get to where I need to go and realize that, you know, nobody speaks English and, um, the traffic there was I've never seen anything like it in my life. It was so crazy. Just like take a four lane highway and it, you just pack like six lanes worth of cars on it and they're all honking their horns and flicking their lights. And, and just, it's just, it was so wild and such a, a big shock to my senses. Like, Oh my God, where am I? What, what's going on? What am I doing? Um, but I ended up getting, uh, getting all the, the producer and he got me to where I needed to go. And, um, I was out there for about two weeks before I realized I need an assistant. It was such a huge show and I couldn't do it with, um, with just the guy that they gave me my interpreter. Cause, uh, that just, he didn't know anything about the craft. So, um, I ended up calling one of my friends that, uh, I went to school with and he hopped on a flight and we spent uh well four months quickly turned into nine months <laughs> and uh we finished the show and flew back um with a really really different outlook of of the world that we live in you know it was really great uh really great experience when you say different outlook you had it just a different outlook on you know, people from the Middle East and North Africa, that area or? Well, yeah. I mean, it just, it kind of, it was my first time leaving the country period. Right. And to go into uh, a place like that um, in the Middle East where it was, you know, there were tensions between, um, you know, it's only just a couple countries over from Iraq and Iran and all that stuff. So it was just like, it was, it was a shock to my senses and, and it was scary at first, you know, but after getting to know the people that I worked with and, and kind of learning their language a bit and um, just seeing how they live over there, it just like, it, 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 I don't know, it just changed my outlook on life and, you know, on, on how not to judge people by right, the right. way they look and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it, it opened my eyes in many ways. How This is sort of a tangent question, but how was the food? The food. Um, I had some really interesting food over there. It was, uh, it was good for the most part. Um, I don't have a taste for for um, Mediterranean food much anymore, though. It was just like after eating it for nine months, it was, it was a little much for me. But I've eaten things that I would probably never eaten before, like pigeon and mm -hmm. uh, stuff like that. So, but um, you know. It it was fine. I, I got I got through. They did have McDonald's and KFC and all that stuff over there too. So <laughs> when yeah. I wanted a little piece of home, I would, I would go there. Are there any specialty McDonald's items? 
Um, not McDonald's, but um, there was a Hardee's, which is you know like Carl's <laughs> Jr. There was a Hardee's over there. It was so random. Yeah, and they they had a Tex-Mex burger over there, but the 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 it was so weird when they would ask when I'd ask for the Tex-Mex burger, they would repeat my order to me. But it sounded when they said it with their accent, it kind of sounded like they were saying Dick Smith. Burger. <laughs> so every time I would like ask for the Tex-Mex, they'd be like, oh, yes, the Dick Smith burger. Like, uh-huh. OK, so <laughs> it was like, oh, I need to be here. <laughs> it's a sign. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so cool. Um, since we're on the travel topic, um, you also spent some time in Bulgaria. Yeah, I spent uh, five months in Bulgaria. Um, that was on uh, the second 300 movie. What was that experience like? That was great. I, I love traveling. I love um, that my job entails a lot of traveling and, and just seeing the world, and it's not on your own dime. I love that right. fact. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I've uh, spent a bunch of time in Bulgaria. I've been to Russia, Colombia, um, Canada, Argentina, Chile, all over the place, man. And, and um, it's such a cool thing uh, in this business to be able to do that and, and be able to see so much of the world. And it's just something that I would never do and see some of these places I would probably never go to on my own. Where have you been shocked the most? Um, I would have to say Moscow. Oh, um, why is that? my Moscow experience wasn't that great. Um, I, the day after I landed in Moscow is when they invaded Ukraine. And so it was, it was a little bizarre and, um, not to mention that my, my wife and her family are Ukrainian and, um, it was a weird thing. Like I got to the hotel and I was in the elevator and I heard, started hearing all these explosions going off. I'm like, what? is going on and i get up to my room on like the 15th floor and i keep hearing all these explosions and i get in my room I'm like what what the hell so i open up the blinds and i see just fireworks going off all over the all over moscow I'm like what the heck kind of i want what's going on so i go down to the lobby and I'm like, what's going on here what's with all the uh, fireworks and they're like oh this it was a great celebration. We just invaded Ukraine and we were all very happy. I'm like, Oh, what the heck? I'm like, I am in the twilight zone right now. It's so weird. And, um, it was just kind of uncomfortable. Um, and then there was one, uh, a couple of days after that is when I was in uh, a restaurant with the producer, uh, in this Georgian style restaurant. And the table next to us was um, the head of the Russian crime police. And he was having dinner with um, a mob boss, apparently. That's uh, what the producer was telling me. Russian and they were mafia. Getting, yeah, yeah. And they were getting drunk and like like good high school buddies, you know. So it was kind of weird. And um, he actually, the head of the Russian crime police came over to our table because apparently he knew the producer. I, everybody knows everybody over there, I guess. But uh uh, came over to the table, asked what everybody was doing there and, and all in Russian. And the producer let him know that I was there to work on a show. And um, he turned to me and, and in Russian, he asked me what I thought of the situation in Ukraine. And right away, I was like, oh, man, I, I do not want to say anything on this. So I, I told him I was pretty politically 
neutral on that. I was like, I don't have enough information to have an opinion. And uh, that's when he got really angry because I didn't side with him apparently and uh, started spitting at me and, and uh, it just kind of got a little scary. So I stood up and extended my hand to give him a handshake to, you know, just kind of cool things off a little bit. And he slapped my hand away and uh, said a bunch of stuff in Russian. I had no idea what he was saying. And then the producer got in the, in the middle of us and kind of walked him away. And I saw the producer pull out his wallet and give the guy some money. And then he walked back to his table and uh, he's like, okay, let's get out of here. Uh, so we left and, and I was like, man, what was that all about? He's like, uh, he just said that he wasn't happy with your stance on the, the invasion of, of Ukraine. And he wanted to put you face down in a ditch. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? He wanted to put me face. Okay. Guy, get me on it. Get me on the next airplane. I got to get out of here. So I, uh, I was out of there shortly after that and didn't finish the show and, it was a little scary. So I, I, yeah, I've never really quit a job before. And that was right. Uh, I, I was conflicted. Like, man, I, I, I just couldn't stay there and, and handle that. So I assume you didn't get in any static from the producers or anything on that. Mm, no, no, it was okay. I mean, they understood the situation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they begged me, they begged me and, and uh, the guy I was with to stay and finish it out. But I mean, after getting my life threatened, I was like, eh, it's probably time to go. <laughs> I mean, so, even if that guy does that all the time and he yeah. was maybe even just kidding, it was a Russian mob boss that threatened you. Yeah. yeah it's time it to go. Like, man. Well, it was the Russian crime police guy that threatened me. Oh, well, still. So he's enough. like authority. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. This, okay. Let's get, it's time to go. Right. Yeah. Holy shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> that would do it. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, I'd say I'd have to say that was the worst experience. Everywhere else that I've been, um, I've I've thoroughly enjoyed and learned quite a bit from. So it's not every day that you get uh, the bad ones like that. But I guess every once in a while, it's got to happen. Yeah, definitely. If you meet that many people, it's going to be yeah. some bad ones. Right. <clears throat> what do you do in the movie industry right now? What's the main, what's your main gig these days? Um, I'm co-department heading um, Westworld season two. Okay. Um, so I'm, um, I'm a makeup artist, makeup effects artist. We're kind of uh, doing anything that uh, if, if it's kind of hard to talk about because we have NDAs and all that signed and, and all that stuff, but it's basically, you know, coordinating everything um, uh between all of our, all our staff and, and just getting all the makeups done in, in a timely manner and making sure that everything is kosher with the producers, making sure the director's happy and the producer's happy. And, um, it's, it's pretty, pretty challenging on a show of this caliber. Um, but man, if, if, if the challenge is, is this big and, and, and difficult, then it must be worth it to me. So, that's a good way to look at it. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So you're so, mainly you, uh, you apply, you're, you're an applicator on set. Is that basically it, what it is? Yeah. We apply makeup effects, a lot of uh, appliances, um, anything that uh, if anybody dies or any kind of, uh, yeah, I, on this show, I can't tell you too much yeah, about it, but on, on any other show. Let's skip the Westworld topic. Let's go to yeah. some, go to some show in the past. 
Yeah, it's basically <laughs> I apply makeup effects, appliances, transfers, all that kind of stuff. Or, or, or if there's like a gag where somebody gets their neck sliced or something like that, um, and we have blood tubes and, and all that kind of stuff to make it happen. Um, so, um, or if there's any kind of creature that needs to be done, we, we, we do the creature effects for that. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's basically all the stuff that I, uh, grew up wanting to do is what I get to do now. That's my <laughs> job. So it's really cool. I'm, I'm, I'm really thrilled and, and I feel lucky to be a part of the industry that I'm in right now. You mastered your destiny. I wouldn't say master it. I, then I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm continually fighting the fight in, in the industry that I'm in and, and uh, hopefully growing each with each show. Okay. <laughs> I got <gotcha>. you. <laughs> okay. We're going to enter onto the, what I'm calling the Chris Farley show segment. Remember the Chris Farley shows on uh, SNL? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like, uh, what you were in the Beatles. What was that like? Yeah, that was, that was cool. <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. <laughs> this, this is going to be somewhat like that. All right, cool. Uh, all right. So, <laughs> um, other than, I mean, everybody has seen the Avengers and stuff like that. So people are, you know, are very much familiar with your work, but, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, those Beavis and Butthead sculptures, those mm-hmm. really did make the rounds and that wasn't, something that you uh it wasn't like characters that were uh, what am i trying to say it wasn't for another movie or something it was just something that was like a private project for you right at first yeah yeah it was it was a private thing and um a few years before the beavis and butthead that i did came out i was kind of just doing my own silicone characters like making sculptures and and casting them up out of silicone trying to get like hyper realism down right um and I was, you know, on, when I wasn't working in the shops per se, I was with my pal, Mike, uh, Mike Hill. He's a great creature sculptor and um, he, he's just an amazing influence as far as, as getting hyper-realism down. So I'd work with him in his garage and making a lot of his stuff. And I kind of wanted to follow that path and just kind of do my own thing and not really make mine monsters, just kind of do characters that I feel I think would look look cool and in person if if in my imagination like what they would look like and try and make it uh, you know come to fruition um beavis and butthead isn't the first one that i've done i did these uh characters from a 1931 film called freaks um yeah and so i I did these characters schlitzy the pinhead johnny eck the 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 boy without a, the lower half of his body and then i did prince randy and there's a character who was born without arms or legs and these were these were all real people back in in the days where they had real freak shows and 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 stuff like that at circuses so i created those and um the year before beavis and butthead came out um I, I put this in the same show, this show called conjoined where uh, it had this gallery in santa monica and um copro gallery and so i did that that year and they got really good praise and chet czar was curating that and so the next year he wanted me to do something else and i was actually on set at the time and i really didn't have any time to but i told him i'd come up with something as soon as the show was over which would basically give me three weeks to to complete something (laughs) um so as soon as i got done with the show i was on i went home 
and I just started sculpting. Um, and I had an idea of what I wanted to do. I wanted to do Beavis and Butthead. I, you know, I know their 20th anniversary um, was coming up since their show started. And so I wanted to kind of do something with that. Uh, I didn't know how they were going to look at the time. It was just kind of something uh, I went in without a plan. And uh, um, with this, a small amount of time, there was many thoughts of just doing either Beavis or just doing Butthead because I didn't know if I'd have enough time to finish it. But then the more and more I thought about it, I was like, oh, that's going to be a cop out. People are going to be like, Oh, where's the other one? And, you know, so I was like, all right, I got to just, I just got to do both. So I just sculpted them super fast. Um, I molded them and then casted them up. And, and I realized there was so much work cause you know, butthead has braces and, and all that stuff. I had to make teeth and all this Anyway, I, I finished it and it was basically up until the final wire. Chet was asking pictures so he can use it for promotion. Um, and I was like, I can't, I don't have pictures. It's like, I, I don't have the finished product yet. I can't give you anything. So it was the weekend um, or the week before the show. Uh, I finished it up and um, I took photos with my shitty camera, my <laughs> shitty phone camera in my kitchen <laughs> and I just posted them on my Facebook, like, Oh, come out to the conjoined show this weekend and, and see my Beavis and butthead, blah, blah, blah. And then I went to bed and I woke up the next morning. I was like flooded with Facebook requests and <laughs> messages and emails and phone calls and texts and all this other stuff. I'm like, what the heck? My wife went on the internet and she went on her favorite websites that she goes on to stuff that she follows and they were on there and like what the hell is going on and they went they just <laughs> completely went viral overnight and i had no clue that they were going to get that kind of response because it was it's just beavis and butthead dude it's like <laughs> what was going on so then like i i was getting calls from cnn and and uh, newspapers and i'm like it was it was kind of a whirlwind even thinking about it now i get kind of like claustrophobic with how how like quickly those those two sculptures kind of went viral overnight and uh you know it was i wasn't expecting it but i i'm definitely grateful for for kind of putting me in the spotlight and being able to have me continue doing the art that i'm still able to do so yeah i mean i i saw those those came up I, I, you know, when they became viral, I, I saw them as well. And I, I, and this is a compliment. They were fucking unnerving, man. <laughs> Mission accomplished then. Yeah. <laughs> you tell an artist like your shit is gross as fuck or unnerving or something like that. It's like a huge compliment, right? Yeah. Well, dude, I yeah. was eating it up. I was eating everything. <laughs> and there was a lot of, a lot of things I was reading on some of the comments on these websites that were like, they they look so gross they're not even they don't even look like they look more like uh they're saying like lyle love it and, and conan <laughs> o'brien and this and that like, i was just cracking up over what <laughs> people were saying and, and I, to be honest if it was getting that kind of exposure even if people didn't like it at least they're talking about it oh yeah man that as an artist you really can't ask for much more than that yeah I mean, not everybody's gonna get it not everybody's gonna like it but if you can get some kind of reaction I think that's the job is is done right there. So I remember I was telling Kelly at work. Uh, 
I was watching something he did and I was like, man, that shit is so fucking gross. And he just honestly, earnestly, he tells me, well, thank you, man. That really means a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's our job. We, I mean, yeah, that's what we get paid to do. We get paid to like, to make gross stuff. We get paid to kill people. We get paid to, to make monsters. I mean, it's, it's not like any other industry. It's, it's a lot of, it attracts a lot of weirdos. And, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but it's it's great. It yeah, really does. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I yeah. Kind of, it makes you kind of fit in a little right. bit. Right. You know, so. Right. Why did you choose Beavis and Butthead over anything else? Honestly, I was asking my wife the same thing. Because I, I, I don't know where it came, like how it popped into my head. I just I was like, okay, I got three weeks to create something. Um I think it might've been cause I read something that Beavis and Butthead's 20 year anniversary was coming up and maybe subliminally that's uh, what I, what came to me. So I, I, I don't know. I really couldn't tell you. It was just kind of one of those on a whim things. That's cool. Yeah. I remember, I mean, other than being unnerved, I do remember thinking, wow, that is what they'd fucking look like if that shit was real. <laughs> <laughs> you never want to run into them. Yeah. Like on yeah. the street. If you saw them, they're just like, something's off. Something's off about him. Did Mike Judge get back to you? Did you talk to him on the phone or anything like that? Talked to him through through Facebook. He got a hold of me and and Facebook messaged me and um, was just complimenting me on on how he how he thought how great he thought they were and this and that and and I was when I saw that Mike Judge was in my messages, I was like, oh shit, I'm gonna get sued. <laughs> that's my first initial thought i was like oh man this guy's gonna like sue me for everything for copyright or something but he was really cool about it and and uh really supporting with like oh he thought they were great and i'm like oh cool man i got i got the man that uh you know that made him just give me props on him so i thought that was that was really a good compliment that's awesome man um, and now um, we're going to get to the film shortly, but before that, your most recent thing, the Harry Carey sculpture. Yeah. Is this the, is this, the, have you done anything in between Beavis and Butthead and Harry Carey? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've done okay. quite a few things. I've, I've done um, this other one uh, that was, I don't know if you ever seen the movie poster for fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Yeah. But it's, it's like a twisted Johnny Depp head. Um just kind of psychedelic and i was like man i was looking at that one day i was like i want to turn that into a 3d sculpture because it would like it would just fuck with people's minds like that it <laughs> shouldn't exist so I, I sculpted that and as i was doing it was, the more and more clay I, I threw on there and and the more closer to completion i got i was like holy shit this this is cool it's one of my favorite pieces because it was just so kind of out of the ordinary and um it didn't get nearly as much attention as Beavis and Butthead, but I think it was probably one of the more difficult heads that I had sculpted because I had to make the glasses and, and the cigarette uh, and teeth right, right, right. and eyes, all that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, I did that and um, what else? I did Carl from um, uh, Hunger, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Oh, nice. Yeah, I did that one for uh, a magazine. Um, they wanted me to kind of show a step-by-step -step on how to do these, these silicone heads that I make. And so, um, they came up with that idea for Carl. And so I kind of documented my step-by-step -step procedure on how I did it and, and then the final result and all that stuff too. So that was kind of cool. Um, 
but this Harry Carey head, uh, I've been a huge lifelong Cubs fan and, um, growing up in around Chicago is, is kind of like Harry Carey was a staple in everybody's house. Um, his voice, his, his drunken antics on, on TV <laughs> that he would get away with. It was so cool. So I'm like, all right, I want to, I want to sculpt the Harry Carey, especially now that the Cubs won the world series, um, last year. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it. And I was originally going to do it just like a normal size head, but then I was just kind of like, man, I want to make them larger than life. And I'm super inspired by some of these artists that make these big heads like Kazuhiro Suji. He did an Abraham Lincoln head and, and Andy Warhol. And, and uh, he's done so many other of these large heads and they're so cool. He actually did a Dick Smith head that was beyond, beyond <laughs> real. It was so crazy. And I, like, look at that. I could look at it for hours and hours. Like, I live for days, man. I wish I, got, I could <laughs> afford to buy that so I can just have that. But right. Um, but it's such an inspiration seeing people like Kazu and, and Jamie Salmon and, and these other artists create these larger than life sculptures that I wanted to try my hand at it. And so I, I did it with Harry Carey and, um, uh, I finished him up just a, a few weeks ago and, um, it it got nice uh, nice reviews. The Chicago Tri- Chicago Tribune did a little article on it, and uh, actually, you took the photos for that thing too. So yeah. that was that was, that cool, was pretty man. surreal from my for for me because <laughs> I wasn't expecting to, to, for that to be in the Chicago Tribune. So it's pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, I appreciate you, uh, you you doing that for me, man. It was really cool. All right, well, thanks thanks for. Uh having me uh take the photos yeah man <laughs> um how, how's been the response for harry carey so far oh it's been great i actually have been in touch um with this special effects guy that's actually working on westworld with us right now he's a big cubs fan and he was involved with um blowing up the baseball that steve bartman caught in uh in the nineties, um, Steve, Bar- I'm not sure if you ever heard, but Steve Bartman, the Cubs were like six outs away of going to the world series in uh, 98. And one of the fans caught the ball when the, uh, the outfielder actually was supposed to catch it. And it kind of screwed them anyway. It was kind of like their Chicago Cubs curse and they never made it to the world series that year. Anyway, this guy, <laughs> Michael, he blew up the, that baseball for, the owner of Harry Carey's restaurant Oh, nice! and they made like this big thing. Um, and so he got in touch uh, with the guy from Harry Carey's restaurant and, uh, he wants to do, um, this guy can't really talk too much about it cause it's kind of a, a thing that's uh, coming up and it's supposed to be kind of a surprise, but, um, yeah, one thing led to another and, and, uh, it's going to be kind of a cool situation I get to do. Nice. Yeah, let's yeah. maybe skip that part as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sorry, guys. There's a whole lot of stuff in this industry that we can't talk about. A whole lot of NDA going on. <laughs> yeah. But um, we can talk about. I think. Um, why do these? Why do this extra shit? You're already working on set, which is already so fucking stressful. Do you even have to do this shit? Do, I mean, do you feel like it, you feel more artistically free to do this Absol- stuff? Is that what it is? Yeah. Nobody has to do this stuff. Like this kind of stuff. Um, that I get to do on the side is it makes me, it just, it frees up all of my artistic freedom and I get to do whatever I want. Not what a, not what a director or a producer is telling me to do. 
Um, it's all coming from me. And that right there is, it makes it all worth it. I, I, you know, I love what I do in the makeup effects industry. It's, it's great working with directors and producers, but when I get to make something that comes from within a hundred percent, that, that right there, that it just, that I can't describe the feeling just releases the, some kind of endorphins in my body that just, <laughs> it makes me happy. And, um, and it's crazy because usually I don't have time to make this stuff in between the shows that I'm working on. But, um, the fact that I can still find time to do this, um, it just gives me inspiration to keep on making more. That's awesome. Um, so, um, we're now going to go into a little bit of, uh, like the movie by movie kind of things. And I think, um, uh, Maddie and Joey are going to chime in a little bit here as well. Actually, you guys want to start off this? Like, um, you guys have anything specific as far as uh, uh, what was it like working on this movie or that movie? Um, I can go ahead and uh, I watched the I watched the first season of The Nick. I haven't seen the second season. Did you work mm-hmm. on the first season? I did. I worked on on both seasons. I remember watching that and like I can watch gory movies. I've seen a lot of gory films. And I, when I was watching The Nick, I was like, this is a little too close. This is a little too close to real. Because I can't watch like I can't watch like surgeries and stuff. They freak me out. I don't like to see it. It's just like, but I can watch the bloodiest horror movies and watch people get limbs chopped off, jaws ripped off. I'm like, oh, it's all fake. But yeah. watching the Nick, I was like, this is different. The, like the makeup effects were so were so astounding because I was like, it looks real. I know that Pivone is not cutting into someone, but it looks so good. Uh, can you talk <laughs> a little bit about like, you know, what you like uh, the just uh, going into that, like uh, yeah, yeah. Steven Soderbergh and what he wanted from you guys, and you know how like <laughs> sometimes did you look at this stuff and like we're pushing it, man. This is too, this is, this is real realistic. That was the great part about that. Working with Steven Soderbergh, he, he's such a, a great visionary director. He knows exactly what he wants and working with somebody like that, who is not so indecisive. It's such a refreshing, a refreshing thing to do. Um, a lot of times you don't get that, you know, it's, there's going to be so many changes and oh, we want it to look like this. So you start sculpting it to look like this. And, but they're like, Oh, well let's change it to do this instead or this. And it's like an ongoing thing. But with Steven, um, you know, he got actually with a medical doctor that worked with fractured effects and Justin Raleigh, who I was working for at the time to make all this stuff. We wanted to make it as accurate as possible. Mm-hmm. And to do so, we had to research a lot and, um, this medical doctor who studied um, the way that they did these surgical procedures back in the, the turn of the century, he had all these books and, and um, photographs from then that, that of, of ways that they did their surgeries. It was unbelievable like how archaic things were back then. And it was only a little over 100 years ago that it was like that. So it's, you know, it was a little disturbing seeing some of these things that that people had to go through but where our medical industry is now if 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 they didn't go through all that stuff back then we wouldn't be where we are right now so it was was actually really cool to kind of to work with steven and 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 actually a doctor and fractured effects to make these things look as super realistic as possible and that was their, their goal from the very beginning and they never strayed from it. So it was a lot of fun. Um, one of the coolest shows, um, I worked on and, uh, we actually got some Emmy nominations from that. So it was, that was really cool too. 
Cool. Did uh, any of the actors have like, did they were like, this is too real or did any stories from set? Of them oh my like, God. This is every, so gross. Every, yeah. Every time we'd bring in one of our effects, um, especially the, we did this uh, one where this guy's getting a brain surgery. And so they're, they like peel back his scalp, crack open the brain and expose his brain, peel back the, the different layers of, uh, of Dura and, and all this stuff. And everybody just like, they had to act like this was part of their everyday job, but you don't know how many takes we had to do because it was just like, they'd see the, the, the brain pulsing and the blood flowing. They're like, Oh my God, people were getting sick. And it was so cool to watch. I think my favorite one was we did this uh, procedure where this guy's leg had like this pus pocket and the doctor had to cut into it and all this pus and blood and, and all this crap oozed out of it and everybody couldn't keep it together. And while they were rolling, people were just like, Oh, like people were laughing and like grossing out. And meanwhile, we're actually rolling still and you're not you're supposed to be quiet, but it was kind of a, it was like a group effort. Everybody just couldn't take it and they kind of ruined, yeah, they ruined the take, but it was, it was really cool to watch um, everybody's expression. So I, that right there kind of lets you know the kind of reality that we, we put into it. And um, when we get those kind of reactions, it's kind of a little pat on the back to, to all the guys in the shop that made it happen. And, and, we get to take, you know, a lot of times we get to take credit for this stuff on set because we're the ones there showing the actors and directors how it works. But some of the real heroes are the guys in the shop making this stuff. Yeah. Um, right. And yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing effort and how many people have to be a part of this thing to make it all come together and work. Um, it, it truly is. It truly is amazing. Um, did you, one last question. Uh, did you guys have to make any of like the old instruments or, was that like sent out to like metal workers or no, the instruments are all real that from, oh, from insane. back in the day, they, they'd got these, these um, whether it was the tables that were, that they were working on. Most of them were all, all, all the real tools that they would use for the show. And some of them were altered uh, in ways to where they can, you know, be, have like, you know, a knife that, that doesn't really cut somebody and, and stuff like that. But for the most part, all the stuff was as accurate as possible. Oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah. All right, Joey, you can go. Anyone else who has a question? <laughs> uh, yeah, just, um, I, I saw that you worked on sort of the, the remakes of, uh, <clears throat> Friday the 13th and, uh, three. Mm -hmm. How was it working on those? Uh, it was cool. I, I didn't go to set for either one of those, but I, I worked in the shop and, and it was definitely because Friday the 13th is one of the first shows that I got hired on. And okay. after moving out to LA and it was really cool. Cause it was like, uh, man, I was like a, such a kind of a gore kid when I was, when I was younger and Friday the 13th was so cool. And to be able to, to now like be a part of that, my, like I was on cloud nine and to be able to work with the artists that I worked on, um, Scott Stoddard, he was the, the head of that show and Chris Gallagher and they brought in Mitch Devane, who all these people you might not know, but these are like the, the, the real guys behind the scenes that make everything, like happen these it's such a really really humbling experience being able to work with like such talent and i feed off of that and, and we feed off each other you know it's such a such a cool experience um coming up with these gags like 
I remember making this gag uh, where a guy steps in a bear trap and he mm-hmm. pull his leg pulls off and like his skin sloughs off and you see bone left. And I was like, yeah, so cool <laughs> making that stuff. That's awesome. And being able to see it like on, on the big screen was like, yeah, it was a part of that. That was so cool. And yeah, it was, it was, it was really cool. Um, and Nightmare on Elm Street, I was, I was in the shop. Uh, on that one and I wasn't even there full time I, I think I got brought in for a couple of days here and there um, to work on a specific um, a specific gag um, but and that didn't stop me like feeling that that sense of euphoria like oh it's Freddy movie and I'm getting to work on it so cool <laughs> you know and I think that like I'm still I still get that way on on films that I I work on you know it's like I still have that that kid in me that that keeps me humble. You know, I didn't, I never want to be, I never want to be the guy that's like, Oh yeah, well, I'm just working on Friday the 13th. Oh, I'm working on a living dead show. You know, I love that excitement. I love getting excited for shows that I work on. You know, it's, it's, it's just a cool, a cool thing for me being that, that horror gore nerd kid following this stuff with my books and, trying to do all this stuff on my own but now actually being able to be a part of the the real deal it's it's there's nothing like it no oh, yeah that's awesome um for uh you worked on stranger things yes uh is that it says the body was that um did you work on the on will's body yeah like it was the, the will body we kind of uh, yeah basically with that um built that from scratch um we had a body from a different show and it was actually a female body because we okay. didn't have any like 10 year old kid, little boys bodies. We happen to have like this uh, really short girl from a different show. And so I had to kind of sculpt in relief taking, you know, her, her tits off and, and her <laughs> vagina, all that stuff. I had to like sculpt it off and then, you know, re-sculpt nipples and all that for a little boy. So I turned that body um, with Will's head, that's the only thing that we had of him is his, his life cast. So okay. I took his head and put it on that body and just kind of made it work and filled it with this, you know, foam, this foam filled stuff that, uh, you know, they realize it's not Will, uh, his body is just, you know, they cut him open and realize it's just, it's, it's not real. So it was really cool to be a part of that show, especially cause I love that show. It's such a cool cool show i got to go to atlanta to work on that and uh yeah it was neat um i recently just saw a movie and you know, one of the trailers was a uh trailer for godless mm-hmm. um I, I hadn't heard of it but you know it's jeff daniels sort of religious western um and it's filming now and i think it comes out like i don't know if it had a, if it had a date yet but uh is there anything you can say about that i don't know if you can well i work I worked on it um, in the shops and then I went out on set to, to work on it just for a couple of days. It wasn't, I wasn't there the whole entire time. Um, it, it was such a long show. Um, mm-hmm. I believe they're done filming it now. Okay. Um, uh, I don't know if they have a release date on it yet. And I don't know a whole lot about, about the actual, what it's about. Um, I just know it's like this cool Western and, and Steven Soderbergh is producing it. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just being a part of that show, uh, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it because there's there's a bunch of cool effects that were made through uh, through fractured effects. So that's a shop that I, I keep going back to in this conversation. But um, I work for a lot of shops sometimes, but 
fractured is kind of, uh, kind of my home base. Um, Justin Raleigh, he's the owner of it. And he kind of, um, he's not only become, you know, my boss, but such a good friend and comrade that we just kind of, you know, when you know something works well, we kind of keep it going. So <laughs> awesome. That's it for me. All right, cool. Um, I, I wanted to ask, uh, about man of steel actually. I mean, did, what'd you do for that one? For that, uh, I was, I sculpted in the shop at, at uh, quantum creations and I sculpted, uh, the, uh, shackles that, uh, what's his name? I can't think of his Zod? name. Yeah. Zod. Yeah, he wears, um, that's that's all I did for that. I sculpted those, casted them up, and and had painted painted them and sent them on the way. I didn't go to set or anything for that. So a lot of the stuff that that I work on, like back in the day when I was a sculptor for the most part in the shop, I, I would do that, uh, and that would be my only, you know, my only uh, thing for the show. But now it's more being on set. Uh, the more recent things that I've worked on, it's it's kind of more on set application. Okay. Yeah, it's funny talking to the people that worked on Stranger Things season one, because you know it's 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 several months to a year or over a year maybe before they even shoot right when they start making this shit, mm-hmm. and like they they said that like oh this is probably going to be another stupid show or <laughs> something like that like there was there was like no they had no idea it was going to be the biggest fucking thing that year. Yeah, and I didn't either. I when I was down there. Um, filming the first season, I, I had no idea what it was about because I didn't read the script. I was only there for for the will body, and um, I was like, well, "Some kid in a, in a school, and there's some some." I went to the studio and saw the 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 lab area where they were they're still building it, and they were trying to come up with different ways to to make all the you know the slimy uh area you know the 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 doorway into the other universe and that kind right. of thing and i'm like what is this about i see this weird <laughs> alien so i'm like i had no clue and then when i first saw the preview uh the trailer online and it totally caught my attention because it was it just it, it brought you back to like the 80s movies like et and um you know those spielberg movies when i was a kid it just it had that feel to it and um as soon as I saw the first trailer, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta watch this. And, and so cool seeing the, all these shows on Netflix because you get to watch every episode, right? You can just binge it over a weekend. And that's what I do most of the time when I start these shows. Um, and you don't have to wait every week for, for an episode. And I, I actually like that a lot. <laughs> awesome. Um, that's it for you guys as far as that section. Yeah, I think I'm. Oh, I'm going to ask one for Stefan because oh, yeah. we're both fans of. Uh, what did you do on John Carter? Because we're both fans of that movie. I know a lot of people don't like it, oh, but shit. I enjoy it. So, John Carter, I was over at uh, Legacy Effects, um, which was formerly Stan Winston's studio, um, and that one we sculpted this big white ape creature, and. Um, it ended up being CGI, but they needed something to scan. So we sculpted this big old, this big giant head. And, uh, there was probably about five or six of us working on that. And, um, that was my contribution to John Carter. Sweet. I just, I threw something in there for Steph. I'm just for, <laughs> <laughs> he's another co-host that's usually here, but I think he's a little bit busy today. 
Gotcha. Well, sorry you missed it, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, we're getting sort of near the end, but I just want to ask a couple more if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, when you see a movie now, what do you want to see most? Is there some, Is I mean, are you kind of a story guy, an overall tone guy? You just want to see a bunch of blood splatter around or what is, what? I mean, what's the main reason you, you go to the theater in particular? <laughs> I want to go to the theaters seeing I want to see a something something that grasps my attention not just visually but it's got to be a good story otherwise I just it's just kind of pointless to watch it I'm not a big fan of gratuitous horror anymore or like the like some of the horror porn uh-huh. gore yeah just that kind of stuff I'm not a big fan of that I like to be um in the movie you know it's got to have a good story but it's got to be visually cool at the same I, I, Call me crazy, but I'm I'm being really really uh, needy when it comes to movies nowadays. To put me in a seat <laughs> in the theater, it's got you know uh-huh. I it just can't be something pretty to look at, or else I'll fall asleep. Right. Um, if if it you know, but um, I I just like the whole aspect of whether the you know from the story being good, from the effects being good, something that I can look at um, with practical effects being done i don't want to watch like a fully computer graphic movie i want to see some practical elements because to me it just reads as a big cartoon even as as good as they're getting nowadays with with um digital i still want that practical like uh, that's what i love so much about going back to harry and the hendersons if if they made that nowadays they do it digitally and i would have no interest in it whatsoever you got to thank the outspoken uh star wars fans post prequels mm-hmm. cuz i think the, the the internet was just coming into fruition i mean it'd been around for a few years of course but you started to really see people talk about movies a lot right after those films were coming out yeah definitely and, and it was a lot of like if i don't see a motherfucking puppet I yeah. will fucking kill somebody. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, look at the original Star Wars and all the like the puppets and and the Jim Henson creations, like that kind of stuff, and and Dark Crystal coming out right now. Um, the, they're you know the one that they're having. I, I believe it's going to be on Netflix. Um, yes, yes, it is. Yeah. Um, but they're they're doing a lot of that practically. I'm sure there's going to be some digital elements added to it, but they're for the most part puppets, and that I highly respect and and a lot of it comes from those people that that spoke out like the the cartoon yoda and the uh was it one two and three yeah uh i i just couldn't do it man and i know that there's a lot of people out there that'll hate me for saying that i don't like some star wars but it's i did not i did not i couldn't get into those movies for for their those characters alone um you're talking about a lot of people so that way Episode one, two, and three, the nineties prequels. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you're gonna catch much flack for saying that. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but the... <laughs> And if and if I do, so be it. I don't care. I, I, I just can't I can't uh I can't look at that and think this is cinematic history being made. <laughs> right. Agreed. Ray Park was awesome. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, Yo Yoda's my favorite character probably too, and so to see him being fully CG, it just kinda sucks, man. Yeah, it's I was just, just saying everything. Three D. I, I did like seeing it move around. What moving you around? You did like seeing moving around. 
Yeah, I did. I like because he's like an old kung fu master. It's like, what can Yoda do? I like that. that but you know, I, I get what you guys are saying. There's, you can't there's do better that. ways to do that. It's so should have been a mixture. Yeah, I, I agree. Flipping around CG. Okay, that's fine. Just yeah. talking puppet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, now we're talking. <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> okay. Um, do you? want movies in general now to change in any way or do you like how the industry and the overall end products have evolved um well i mean i i think people are running out of original ideas lately and Mm -hmm. that that kind of saddens me where um they just you're, you're seeing a lot of remakes nowadays and they they really fall short i mean if you're gonna do a remake of something do a remake of of a movie that was crap to begin with. Don't remake right, something right, right. that was good in, in the first place. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, that that's the kind of thing that I like seeing um, if, if you are going to do a remake. And I think there's a flood of, of superhero movies coming out lately and I'm kind of over it. I mean, they pay my, the, you know, I get paychecks from those movies and that's great, but they don't interest, interest me as much because there's just so many of them. I can't keep up. Right with all these superhero films, and I, I would just, I would like to see less of that being done and more original ideas coming to the table. Um, and a lot of people, you know, I understand the problem with the studios. Um, they're scared to kind of put all their money on the table on something original when they know the recipe for a remake is a money maker. Um, right, but yeah. it just doesn't interest me as much. But that's just my personal opinion. Um, there are there there have been some some really great um original movies out there and um i i just wish that uh you know people catch on to that and would and start making more of them like drive i love that movie and that was, <laughs> that was an original idea and um yeah sure it took some ideas from other scripts here and there but uh, i thought it was really well done and and uh, i'd like to see more of that Kind of like Charles Bronson, super violent, yeah, yeah, type of films, but with a little bit more flash, yeah, yeah, and cool soundtrack for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That didn't come out <laughs> of nowhere, man. Yeah, it did. I remember I had a friend uh, that just was like going crazy over it at, at a party one time, and then I was like, "What the fuck is Drive? I didn't even heard of it, and it was already out." Mm-hmm. And I I read movie news all the time, <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. Uh, last question. Um, what's left? Do you have any dreams left unfulfilled? Are you going back to teach uh, at Tom Savini at the school you learned at? Have you done that? That's a few questions in a row. But uh... well, I've I've got the offer to to go and teach at the school. I honestly I didn't go to school to 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 teach there. I, I went to school to kind of do what I'm doing now. I'm happy with where I'm right, at. Right, right, right. Um, um, it's not to say that later on in my career and later on in my life that I wouldn't love to, you know, spread my knowledge, the stuff that I've learned and, and onto another generation. But I, I kind of, I, I do that already um, with, with people that we bring on on shows. And I, I try and answer as many questions as I can to people if they, they ask me online or um, I speak at schools and stuff like that back home. And um, I love doing that. I love just kind of doing what my heroes did for me when I was younger. Um, you know, just 
planting seeds. That's what I like to call it. Just planting seeds and letting other people take on what they want from what I say and leave what they want behind. And, you know, I, I love just watching people grow. Uh, there aren't any movies that I can say that I would love to work on because I love working on all the, sh- all the stuff that I, I work on. I mean, I, it's, it's kind of like, um, I just love my job period. So there's not, I can't really single out one thing except for maybe another star Wars movie. <laughs> <laughs> you want to work on star Wars? I would love to. I think just being a part of that would be, would be pretty cool. There was one, I've actually been recorded in another interview saying that I wouldn't want to have anything to do with any more Star Wars movies. But that's that's back when 1, 2, and 3 had come out, and I saw the way that they were going. I was like, no, no, I don't want to have anything to do with that. <laughs> and then these new Star Wars came out. I'm like, wait a minute. I take it back. I want to work at Star Wars again. <laughs> Cut to 10 years from now. I would love yeah. to work on a Thor movie. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh. But uh, yeah, that's where we're at right now. It's just um, what I do. I, I live in Illinois um, so I can watch my kid grow up. And now that she's 17 years old and she's almost um, graduating high school, I think the plan is to to move back to L.A. and um, just continue doing what I'm doing, be closer to the craft. And um, I'm really hoping she follows me out here and so I get to see her some more. But you know, I just like to, to inspire not only my kid, but all these other fans of, of makeup effects. And hopefully I can just be some kind of positive influence in their life. So that's my goal. Has she shown interest in this, in this world? Yeah. Yeah, she has. She, she thinks it's cool what I do. And she watches me um, make everything, make these sculptures in, in my basement. And, um, she gets a little discouraged sometimes. She's like, I, I could never do that. And I couldn't be as as good as you. I'm like, no, I was, I was crap. When I first started sculpting too, you should have saw the first things I, I started sculpting. You know, it just takes a lot of practice and a lot of patience and can't be afraid to fail, you know? And I keep telling her that. And she's, so she showed more interest and she really likes regular makeup. And nice, uh, nice, nice. Yeah. It's, I know connections, so <laughs> I can help her out. Nice. Cool, man. Before we go, do you have any questions for us? No, man. Um, <laughs> I've so, asked this before. I just want to see what people will say. Uh, no, you, you've stumped me, man. I was expecting for answers. <laughs> I haven't thought of any questions. But I don't even know you guys. Yeah, I don't I, even I, know I, you I guys, did. man. <laughs> cool, dude. Um, any, uh, any final questions from Joey or Maddie? No, I'm good. I'm good, man. Cool, dude. Thanks for uh, keeping the dream alive and being inspirational and and all that stuff. And thank you guys. Cool, dude. Hey, thanks, man. Thank you guys for having me on. I I really appreciate it. And uh, um, hopefully, we'll get to do it again sometime. Awesome, man. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. That was Kevin Kirkpatrick, everybody. We want to thank him again for coming on. That was super awesome for him to do that. Hopefully we can have him on again sometime. This is Andrew signing off. This is Stefan from the Superhouse Podcast. Be sure to check us out on Patreon, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and any other 
godforsaken social media outlet that we that we should be floating on. We are basically on all social media. <laughs> yeah, all social media. Mainly Facebook and Twitter and Patreon. Check out the links in the description. We have uh, a lot of uh, cool goals uh, set up on our Patreon. Like if you donate a dollar, you'll be able to uh, give us a topic for us to talk about. And that's we'll talk dope. about for maybe an hour or more. Who knows yeah. how long it'll take. And that's pretty tight. <laughs> that's the coolest thing. <laughs> Wait, we're on the internet? That's pretty good. <laughs> if you and we can make money. <laughs> what? <laughs> if you donate $1,000, you get full frontal nudes. We haven't set that up, but it's a possibility. If you give us a grant, who knows what will happen. Check us out. I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> you get to go on a date with one of us for $10,000. <laughs> but you pay for everything. <laughs> you get to have your way with Maddie for $20,000. I'm a million, I'll give you Joey for a weekend. <laughs> for $30,000, we'll help you hide a body. Check out our Patreon. <laughs> Superhouse Gigolo Project 2017. <laughs> Links in the description. <laughs>